Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. We'll be talking, uh, we'll be in 2 Samuel chapter 13, looking at the second half of that uh, this evening. But we'll start with a question. Have you ever experienced injustice? Now, some of you know exactly what I mean. You get a meal at a restaurant, you look at it, you look at all the the ingredients, you're looking forward to it, and the meal comes, and it's a lot smaller than you expected, especially how much you paid for it. There's a form of injustice. You know, the injustice, when it happens, when the cable company sends you that letter saying, thank you for being a loyal customer, now we're going to increase your bill because you've been loyal to us. When you get to that red light and that person is sitting in front of you and the light turns green and that person does not move and you wait patiently, you count however many seconds you feel you need to wait and then you honk your horn and eventually they wake up and they drive off as the light turns red once more. (laughs) Now all of us have seen some form or know of injustice and injustice comes uh, in small little things like this, uh, it's very often in our house we hear the words, it's not fair. And often it's true, it's not fair, but uh, it's what happens, that injustice comes. But there's also injustice that doesn't just make us frustrated or upset or uh, our meal is smaller. There's injustice that makes us sick to our stomachs. Injustice that we cannot uh, just overlook. Injustice we cannot just merely put to one side. Uh, You've been lied to, manipulated, betrayed, wronged, hurt, robbed. And sometimes it's not just something that happens in your life. It comes by the hands of friends or family. And in today's passage really highlights these two People and how they react to injustice. King David and Absalom, his son, are faced with this injustice as we looked at before, Vaman and Tamar. And both of them have two different responses to this injustice, to this crisis that they both faced. But both of them act unjustly towards this injustice. And that's, we'll see. And ultimately, we'll see that acting unjustly does not correct injustice. That we should seek to be able to trust God to be able to correct justice, uh, correct injustice justly. So, what we'll see this this morning, this uh, this evening, is that Absalom first takes things into his own hands. Absalom takes things into his own hands. So, what happens is that Absalom finds out about what has happened, and he. He pressed then for his own way in verses 24 and 27. Absalom, I don't have it up on the screen for some reason. Um, 24 and 27. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, your servant has sheep shearers. Please let king and his servants go to your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go, lest we be burdensome to you. He pressed him. But he would not uh, go, but gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? 
but Absalom pressed him until he let Amon and all the king's sons go with him. So Absalom comes, he approaches the king and continually presses him until he gets his own way. That that word pressed in verses 25 and 27 is, is to break down something that you, you build up to be able to break down, you tear it down. It's, it's persistent pressing. And once he, he presses his own way, then he commands his own way. He, he takes it into his own hands and he commands his own way. We see this in verse 28 and 29. And Absalom commands his servant, Mark when Amon's heart is merry with mine. And when I say to you, strike Amon, then kill him, do not fear. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. Valiant. So the servants of Amon did to, uh, Absalom did to Amon as Absalom had commanded. And all the king's sons arose and each mounted his mule and fled. So not only is he persistent to be able to try and get his own way and get his own outcome, that eventually he, he commands then his servants to be able to take things into his own hands. He commands like a king commands over in an army. Pharaoh does this in Genesis 12. Moses does this in Exodus 6. The Lord God does this in, in Genesis 2. But then what he does, he, he went his own way. He fled his own way. In verses 34, 37, and 38. In verse 34. But Absalom fled, and the young man who kept the watch uh, lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, many people were coming from the road behind him by the side of the mountain. In verses 38 and 30, uh, 37 and 38. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of uh, Elmihud, king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son day after day. But Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. So he, he, he persists his own way, he commands his own way, and then finally he flees. He went up from someone who was not ashamed of his actions in verse 28, where he explains that, uh, do this, be strong and courageous, be valiant. Maybe not thinking about the consequences. Now we see this, under, parents understand this, when a child comes into the kitchen and asks for a piece of candy... They ask nicely, and then they become a bit persistent. You finally put your foot down and tell them not, they're not allowed to have what they want. They walk out of the room, very upset with you, and then they walk into the room at a later period to find out that they have a piece of candy in their hand. Huge grin on their face, and you ask the question, who said you could have that? Mom or the grandparents? Basically, they're very persistent. If they don't get their way with one person, they'll go and find a way to be able to get their way another way. And Absalom wants something. He wants Amon dead. And what he does, he does it. He takes it into his own hand. He presses it. He commands it. And then he got what he wants. And we know people like this. People who push their own way, very persistent in their way. They take control of situations. But not only we know people who do it, we ourselves do this as well. We do this when to God. And also others placing our own needs and desires above what God's word tells us to do. You and I go out about our daily lives, not even thinking about what 
would be the best way to, to glorify God. We're persistent in what we do. We, we go behind people's backs. We press God for what we want. Even if His Word tells us no. And we sometimes even command God, this is what I require. And ultimately, we seek to be able to make things just happen in our own way. Now, you and I don't organize to kill people, hopefully. But I, we do try and take justice into our own hands sometimes. Either through trying to make things right, justify our own actions after they've been done. Sometimes we try and... Uh, we are the ones who have done injustice, and what we try and do is we try and correct our injustice, thinking that we're the ones that can fix that. We seek to be able to appease God for the wrong we have done. Try and correct it in some manner. But Absalom handles injustice in a way that is acting unjustly. He thinks of a way to correct it. He takes it into his own hands and he does it. Now we'll talk about this a little bit later, but ultimately his response is to Act unjustly to this injustice. Whereas King David also does not handle this injustice justly. But it's not that he acts unjustly, that he, he doesn't act at all. He turns a blind eye to injustice. And that's why we see the second point tonight that King David turns a blind eye to injustice that he turns a blind eye to his sons, that Amon lied to his father in 13 verse 6 and 7. Amon laid down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight, that I may eat from her hand. And then what does he do? He goes and tells Tamar, later on, go to your brother Amon's house and prepare food for him. The King David caved into his sons. Now, without saying he is king, he acts more like a servant than a king in this passage. He doesn't ask why. See this in verse 25, where it says, But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go, lest we be burdensome to you. So he does respond in this case where he says no. But his actions ultimately led to injustice. One time he says yes, it leads to injustice. This time he says no, it leads to injustice. But it's ultimately because he's turning a blind eye to that justice. We see this in verse 21. When King David heard all these things, he was very angry. Now, he, he sees the injustice. He has the emotion of what injustice should do. He's angry at this instance. But what does he do? He doesn't do anything. He's absent in this. I think this is why the author points out in, in verse 23, after two years that there's nothing been done in those two years 
King David hasn't responded. The Dead Sea Scrolls and the Teptuagin actually add, but he would not punish his son Amon because he loved him since he was his firstborn. That, that, that addition seeks to be able to maybe add to it to be able to explain that this is why he did not act. And we might not have that here in our text. I think that the, the failure to act is, is the main issue. The, the motive behind why he acted or did not did not act, there's no response which is good enough to be able to say that he didn't act. In Deuteronomy 22, the Mosaic Law had specific responses of how to handle cases of rape. And King David should have upheld the law to follow to be able to see that law through, to see that justice. But what did David do? He did nothing. So he turned a blind eye, and then he turns to mourning. In verse 31, And the king rose and tore his garments and lay on the earth, and all his servants who were standing by tore their garments. In verse 36, As soon as he had finished speaking, behold, the king's sons came, and lifted up their voice and wept, and the king also and all his servants wept very bitterly. In verse 37, And Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of uh, Amihud, king of Geshur, and David mourned for his son day after day. And in verse 39, And the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom because he was comforted about Amon since he was dead. Now David still mourns the death of his son. But he also then has the loss of Amon, uh, Absalom as well. Now David is not responsible for Absalom's actions. We'll see this as we continue to go through Second Samuel. David still feels pain. He has the anger of that injustice that happened to Tamar, but he also now has the weeping in the mourning of the loss of his son, Amon. You see here, even distancing yourself does not help yourself with the pain that happens with injustice. And you and I have seen injustices in this world. You've seen the pain that one single sinner can bring to another or a large group of people. We can see the injustice on the other side of the world, oppression of children and women. See injustice within our own country from politicians, leaders, even our neighbors. See injustice with the widows and orphans, unborn children. See We have this injustice not just outside, it's also then within our hearts. We see the wrong. So injustice is not only the act of doing something unjustly, but also it is not doing something where there's a call to do something just. That Absalom's injustice was taking things into his own hand, David's injustice is turning a blind eye and pretending like it just didn't happen. We should seek to be able to reach out to those that have been treated unjustly, to be able to show them mercy, compassion. Some people in this room, some people across, friends that you know, have had horrendous sins committed against them. We should be reaching out to them. 
Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells us what happens when the Son of Man comes in His glory. What He will do, He will separate the sheep from the goats. He gives us a list of how He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And on, He explains that I was hungry and you gave them food. I was thirsty, you gave them drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. In prison, you came to me. And we see this, and the the goats say, well, when did we see you naked? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? Jesus said, what you did for the least of these, you did unto me. And both King David and Prince Absalom act unjustly in in doing injustice through unjust actions also, but not doing anything. But where is God when all of this happens? This is where we'll end tonight, that God alone can bring justice. God is not mentioned in this passage, but that does not mean that God is not present, that God is absent The Westminster Larger Catechism speaks of providence and what it says of this. Yet so is the sinfulness thereof proceedeth only from the creature and not from God, who, being most holy and righteous, neither is nor can be the author or approver of sin. The the sinfulness... Who is responsible for these actions? It is the creature, not the creator. He is not the author or the approver of sin. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 10 and 11. God told that this would happen to David's house. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil out uh, against you out of your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And you shall lie with your wives in the sight of the son, this son. Here now we're seeing again that the consequences of that, that action. That he has lost his first son. He has now lost Amos. Uh, uh, Tamar, and this, this battle is going on. He will lose Amon. He will lose two other sons. The sword will never depart from his house because you have despised me, have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. The God says that I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. The God's the one who's sovereign over all things, not the author or approver of sin, but through the sinful actions and the means of other, uh, the sinful desires of man. He raises up evil out of his own house, and we see this coming to fruition. But God's justice is the only justice. Deuteronomy 32, verse 35, says, Vengeance is mine, and recompense for the time when the foot uh, shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly. That it is God's justice that is only the true justice. 
In Romans 12, Paul quotes here from Deuteronomy 32. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Ecclesiastes 3.17 I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. Psalm 37, verse um, 27 and 29. Turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. Zephaniah 3, 5. Lord, within her is righteousness. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail, but the unjust knows no shame. The God we find true justice, true vengeance, not in a spiteful sense of vengeance out of emotion, but vengeance is is justice coming forth. John Calvin puts it this way in a long quote. See how he says to summarize and then how big it is. But to summarize, let us remember that if we have suffered some injury or disgrace, we must forget the original evil, especially so that we will not hate our enemies. Although we may feel justified in doing so, on the contrary, let us break off anything that could incite us to further evil. Let us not cut wood to build the fire higher. Hence, let us attempt to be reconciled with our enemies so that we may avoid the pride which will cause us even to be more embittered. Experience shows too often that it's not us only nurtures, only nurtures hatred, but it is actually increases it to the highest degree. Whenever I have an enemy and I deliberately attempt to show how angry I am with him, then I am continually tempting myself more and more. That is how we are to make two devils out of one. Seeing, therefore, that the devil wins over us, let us learn to remove all his opportunities by forgetting the injuries that people have done to us. Let us endeavor to return good for evil. We see that here he's explaining that, that injustice never solves the problem of injustice. It's not like an equation that cancels each other out. But God's justice comes through Christ's injustice. The Westminster Confession of Faith puts it this way, Christ by his obedience and death did fully dis- discharge the debt of all those that have thus justified and did make proper, real, and full satisfaction of his Father's justice in their behalf. So when we say that we are justified by Christ, he's saying he has taken that, that injustice we have done, and it has been justified. Proper, real, and full satisfactions of the Father's justice on their behalf. That Christ bore the sins of his people 
upon the cross when he is the one who did not sin. Illustration, a judge went up to a man who had appeared before him in a lower court and escaped conviction on a technicality. He comes up and he explains to him, I know that you are guilty and you know it. Wish you remember that one day you will stand before a better and wiser judge and that there you will be dealt with according to the justice and not just according to the law. That acting unjustly does not correct injustice. That we should seek to be able to trust God to correct any injustice. For those who have been caused injustice, don't flee. Absalom, return to the king. Like the prodigal son who returns to his father. There might be consequences right now. But it's better to be right with God than to flee from him. To those who have turned a blind eye to injustice. And I think that is all of us. We cannot just stand idly by and not be able to show mercy and share of that compassion. Not help those who have been mistreated. Stand up and speak out. Reach out with your hands. You cannot undo the injustice, but you can show and tell them about how God is just and God will deal with their injustice. For those who have suffered the great injustice, abuse, trauma, loss, Jesus is unlike any other religious figure. He knows your pain, for he suffered at the hand of lawless men. He suffered and died an unjust death. But for all of us, we are to sing, to read, to pray God's scripture. Be reminded that he sits enthroned above the cherubim. Psalm 83 puts it this way. O God, do not keep silence. Do not hold your peace or be still, O God. Behold, your enemies make an uproar. Those who hate you have raised their heads. They lay crafty plans against your people. They consult together against your treasured ones. They say, come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. Verses 13 to 18. Oh my God. Make them like whirling dust, like chaffed before the wind. As a fire consumes the forest, as the flame sets the mountains ablaze, so may you pursue them with your tempest and terror to terrify them with your hurricane. Fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be put to shame and dismayed forever. Let them perish in disgrace, that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, the Most High over all the earth. We need to be able to learn how to sing and pray and read psalms like that, where we actually see and place it in God's hand to be able to deal with those who act unjustly. That we live in a fallen and broken world, one in which sin surrounds and and is within, where sin seems to be the victor in so many situations. And let us not look to ourselves for justice, for we are also sinful, but to God, the only one who can restore the broken and fallen world, 
the only one who can heal the sick, the hurting, the wronged, and the sinful. Let us trust God and bring, uh, ask for him to bring justice in this unjust world. And also then we long for that moment when the great judge comes, when every sin is ever exposed and either dealt with according to their own, uh, the righteous judge or is dealt with by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who has taken that injustice upon himself to deal with our injustice towards God. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.